Hello, everybody. Turn this up in my headphones, Charles. Turning it up. Hello, 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 everybody, one and all. Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, but not just any fantasy today. Oh. That's right, because today we are having yet another character series discussion. You know, we all love the protagonist, we all love the antagonist, but sometimes what really makes a story are those side characters that we love. And today we are going to be talking about those side characters. These are side characters that stole the show. Well said, Charles. We've talked about anti-heroes that stole our hearts, but these side characters, they stole the show by taking center stage whenever they were on page. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's right. These are characters whose personalities or traits or unique voice just pop off the page and take all of your attention and and just really win you over. Right. And... When you start thinking about what is a side character, Charles, I think mm -hmm. we did play a little bit fast and loose at times with that definition. We tried to go for people mostly who play a little bit more of a side role, usually people who don't get their own POVs or things like that. But uh, there are a couple in here that land a little bit more on the stole the show side than the side character side. But we we didn't pick any main characters, so I think that's that's where we get our redemption. <laughs> right. This is a loose definition of side character, which is basically not the main character. You know, sometimes we get someone in the main cast, but they're not the main character, so. That's about as loose as we're going to go. But for the most part, these are side characters that stole the show. Correct. And, you know, Charles, say one thing for Joe Abercrombie. <laughs> say that the man has mastered the art of creating memorable and interesting side characters. And we probably could have chosen several different characters from Joe Abercrombie's first law, which we're currently buddy reading, to say that they stole the show, because many of them do. But the one that most came to our mind is Nicomo Casca, famed soldier of fortune. Yes, of course. No surprise to anyone that our character series is leading off with a first law character and like you said, so many colorful characters in this in this series. But for whatever reason, Nekomo Kaska, his charm, his swagger, his mysterious roguelike history, all build him up as just this like this magnet, and you're just so drawn in and enthralled by this character. He's also very funny, and you just buy into him right away. 
Right. He has so much charisma and he's so well characterized so early on. This is something that Abercrombie does as well as anyone. And it's really interesting the way that he's first depicted when he comes onto the the page, Charles. It's not until the second book in the first law before Mm -hmm. they're hanged, but uh, there won't be any spoilers in here I would say, uh, where besides the fact that Nick Mokaska exists and yeah. is in a uh, a dive bar of sorts, where I'll read a passage from Before They Hanged when we're first introduced to him. It says, Nick Mokaska, famed soldier of fortune, sprawled in amongst the scene of debauchery, soundly asleep. He had his driftwood chair rocked back on its rear legs against the grimy wall, one boot up on the table in front of him. It had probably been as fine and flamboyant a boot as one could hope for once. Black, styrian leather with a golden spur and buckles. No longer. The upper was sagging and scuffed gray with hard use. The spur the spur was snapped off short. The gilt on the buckles was flaking away, and the iron underneath was spied with brown rust. A circle of pink blistered skin peered at, character name redacted, through a hole <laughs> in the sole. And a boot could scarcely be better fit to its owner. Casca's long mustaches, no doubt meant to be waxed out sideways in the fashion of a steering dandy, flopped limp and lifeless round his half-open mouth. It goes on from there to show us how Casca is so well-suited to that once-great boot of his, and it's it's so interesting. It's something that Abercrombie does so well. It's like, this boot is past its prime, and so is the man sprawled out asleep and drunk in this dive bar before me. Right. He also gets so many great like one-liners and all these other characters that know him are like, how are you even here? There's all this like weird history of him like accomplishing great things somehow, almost seemingly miraculously. And also him being rather not treacherous, but he's always ever the mercenary following the money. So he definitely has no honor, but he's a proud guy. So it, it's, it's such a interesting balance of character traits that really has Nicomokoska stealing every scene he's in. Yeah. I mean, he's got some Captain Jack Sparrow vibes, I like to say. Mm-hmm. And obviously Captain Jack Sparrow, a character that was probably too main to fit into our side characters that stole the show, but with enough charisma to carry a huge uh, franchise for many movies. So (laughs) we pretty much get that level of characterization from a character that in the first law series or the trilogy does not get a point of view or anything like that in the trilogy. Right. Great character. Great use of the side character and certainly worthy of the title show stealer as Nikomokoska. Another rogue like character, questionable honor but lots of charm and, and swagger would fall to Braun from A Song of Ice and Fire. This is a character we're met with 
pretty early on in the series, I believe right in Game of Thrones. And he's he stands out like, you know, you're used to in like this medieval setting fantasy stories of knights that are shining armor and have tons of honor and and all these other things. But Bronn is willing to fight dirty and he doesn't have any allegiances, much like Nicomokaska is a mercenary. Bronn is basically like a, a swell sword, a sword for hire kind of. And he's just trying to look out for himself and he doesn't really have a you know, a stake in the fight or anything like that. He's just trying to get by and do whatever benefits him in the moment. And I think that charm and and his, you know, he gets some great one-liners as well. And especially in these early moments when he's with Tyrion, you know, those two talking back and forth are, are super entertaining. Yeah, they have awesome back and forth. I think of Braun as pretty much the best example I can think of of a side character that exemplifies this chaotic neutral sort of alignment so for our fans who play Dungeons and Dragons they'll know that alignment chart and probably many others know even if they don't play a where chaotic neutral basically means they're gonna do whatever they want not get caught up on codes of honor and laws and things like that and they're gonna do what makes sense by then they're not necessarily like inherently good but they're not inherently evil so they're out for themselves and that can be so interesting to see especially in a world like game of thrones where honor is something that is or the world of game of thrones and westeros uh where honor is so important i think Bronn has more depth than that i won't get into the whole bit but just especially at first the way we're presented this brawn character is an amazing chaotic neutral right i mean if you think of this idea of knighthood in game of thrones like oh you're part of a noble house you're duty bound you have an honor a code of honor and all these other things and brawn is like forget all that stuff whatever just gets me money and a comfortable life is what i'm chasing after titles don't mean anything to me all these other things and when you compare that with Tyrion, who is a clever guy has no illusions as to what's brawn is all about uh, and still willing to keep him around you know it's a very fun dynamic there and i think to combat bronze chaotic neutralness with Tyrion's cleverness it, it is a lot of fun and those moments are always um highlights in game of thrones you know just absolutely worthy of the title show stealer for sure charles i mean we get these moments with Tyrion where he has to grapple with the morality of what he needs to do to engage in a pretty savage world around him. Mm -hmm. And he is one to ask these ethical, moral questions to himself and those around him more often as he's trying to deal with it than Bronn does. And we get these great exchanges. Like there's the, the very memorable moment where Tyrion says to Braun, tell me, Braun, if I told you to kill a babe, an infant girl, say still at her mother's breast, would you do it without question? And Braun says, without question? No. The sellsword rubbed thumb and forefinger together. I'd ask how much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Kind of like, uh, you know, rubbed thumb and forefinger together is kind of that like, uh, show me the money symbol, <laughs> uh, signal. So that's what Braun cares about most about and uh, he's 
out there stealing the show. That's right. And even though he's putting a price on killing an infant baby, he still somehow gets away with being kind of charming and funny, you know. So it yeah. speaks to his character and to George Martin's like writing ability to balance those two things as well as he does in one character. Right. Something we're learning about side characters that are able to take center stage like this is they're often highly charismatic. They're often very humorous. And someone else who comes to mind with those traits is Dandelion from mm. the Witcher series. That's right. Unlike Braun and Nicomo Casca, Dandelion falls less roguish obviously he's not a fighter by any means he's He's more he's a bard and he more serves this almost comic relief kind of role he has wit he has charm and in a gritty series like the witcher where you have monster bounty hunters and all these political factions and and children of destiny and all these other things you have dandelion who's just trying to make a few coin and get famous and be around famous people and live a lavish lifestyle and it's funny to see him stand out because of that and he gets all buddy buddy with Geralt and it's their relationship much like you can compare the relationship of Bronn and Tyrion you have Dandelion and Geralt when they come together they they bring out this fun side to each other like Dandelion goes so far as to try and make Geralt famous by singing songs about him and Geralt is a very private individual person but he can't help but keep dandelion around you know dandelion is so not a fighter yet Geralt keeps him along on on quests sometimes because he likes the company and because they have good times together and it's moments when they're like arguing about fishing techniques or talking about their relationships or things like that that are really some of the best moments of characterization in the witcher and certainly moments that steal the show from Geralt, which is a hard thing to do in the witcher Definitely. And it's the kind of thing with Dandelion where there's full stories in the short story collections that we read, The Last Wish and The Sword of Destiny, Mm -hmm. Charles, that just have no Dandelion in them. So you get to almost long for some of that comic relief that Dandelion brings when he's not around. And then you see him and it's like, oh, Dandelion's here. And you start paying attention to him. And like you were saying, Charles, Geralt is so stoic and grim. And every once in a while, he'll drop a funny line or something. But we really do need something, some back and forth with a little bit more of that funny side sometimes when right Geralt's a bit self-deprecating and dandelion when they're together it's like whenever two best friends are together you know they kind of get a little mischievous sometimes or they get on wacky adventures sometimes and and you get to see that other side of Geralt through um, like you and I, Charles. That's exactly correct. <laughs> but who's who's Geralt and who's Dandelion? That's, that's for you, the listener, to decide. That's right. The who's to say at this point in time. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up just another uh, Witcher character super briefly. I, 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 that stole the show for me only because of his name. <laughs> Doo-doo the Doppelganger. <laughs> 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 yeah, there's that moment in oh, that's sort of destiny, right? Joe's yeah, where doo doo yeah. the doppelganger, and it's like who knows what was going on with when these were 
these were translated from, from Polish. Polish, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then Dudu the doppelganger is a character in one of those stories, and he he has a different name, but he's like, my friends call me Dudu, <laughs> and we what did we say we were like well you need new friends yeah. first of all i was like hold on stop the show <laughs> what did i just read my friends call me doo-doo you know it definitely stole the show for me i had to like stop the plot you know this was another like dandelion Geralt wacky zany adventure perhaps the wackiest and the zaniest in those right. short stories and um yeah and to even like Dudu takes away the show from Dandelion, even just by pure nature of this epic line, my friends call me Dudu. <laughs> <laughs> that line oh is wild, God. wild line. So, had to just give that an honorable mention here. Dudu uh, the doppelganger stealing the show. Yeah, well, let's not let him steal this show from mm. us, Charles. Let's well move said. on to a character more near and dear to my heart than Dudu the Doppelganger <laughs> is. Uh, it's Ari from the Kingkiller Chronicle. Yes, huge tonal shift, expertly done, Dylan. Uh, Ari from Kingkiller is such an interesting voice in the Kingkiller Chronicles. You know, we there's all kinds of mystery around this idea of naming and and the history of the under thing and things like that. And at the center of it all is Ari, this whimsical, charming little girl who there may be more to her than is let on. She may be not as naive as people think. And just every scene we get with her, it's almost like a total change in tone. It almost kind of opens up to this almost mystical kind of um, descriptions. And the way Rothfuss, already known for his prose, writes Ari it is like beautiful. It's poetry. Well said, Charles. I think that Rothfuss does an amazing job with Ari of sort of being aware that Ari is this awesome side character that we want to know more about, where in The Name of the Wind and the Wise Man's Fear, where we get moments with Ari, it's she's pain is almost elusive in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Quoth is trying to get her to engage more with him, and she's skittish, and she might run away if you say the wrong thing right and that's part of what makes her such an awesome side character is we talk a lot about Rothfuss's restraint and he knows he has a great character in Ari and the way he treats Ari in the Kingkiller Chronicle is as a character that Quoth wants to know more about and engage with more and we the readers want the same but he doesn't then bring her any more to the forefront because that could in some ways take away from what makes her such a great side character. But yeah. Yeah. And her voice is super interesting. And also the voice that Rothfuss takes in the descriptions in these moments um, gets very almost kind of like cerebral in a way. It's more this poetic language that reacts just on emotional level not really explicitly saying what's happening you know lines like you know oh still is still or yeah like a 
you know, all these intense metaphors and this beautiful poetry that that comes when Ari's on the scene and Ari talks in those ways too when it draws this line between like this she's an all-knowing character or she's an innocent uh, she's an innocent young woman character. You know, it walks those lines super well. And just reading Ari is a, a huge, um, a hugely pleasant experience, not just from her voice, but from the author's voice in those scenes to changes as well. I totally agree, Charles. I think that that authenticity and innocence and ability for Ari to just kind of be herself and all that rubs off on Quoth in a way where she has one of the most genuine, if not the most genuine relationship with Quoth, I think, of mm. any character. You know, Quoth is so obsessed with his story and what others think about him. And he, you know, the whole King Killer Chronicle starts with Quoth saying, I, or Coat saying, hey, I'm going to tell you my story, Chronicler. But I need you to take down every word the way I say it. He's so obsessed with those kind of things that it feels like he has trouble sometimes actually relating to a person just as another person. But mm. I feel like in these moments with Ari, he's actually just engaging with her in a way you don't usually see from him. So we, I appreciate that side of quote that she brings out and I think a great side character as we're kind of finding as we talk through this can bring a lot of the sides we want out of our more main characters that we don't get to see as often mm, that's very well said I think it's also worthy of noting about Ari that Patrick Rothfuss went on to write a novella all about Ari so I mean right. talk about a, a character stealing the show she gets her own spinoff <laughs> yeah. yeah, she she earns her place as the star of King Killer book two and a half when <laughs> lots of people are clamoring to get book three. So it takes a really engaging character like Ari to warrant her own novella. So yeah, yeah. go check out Slower Guard of Silent Things if you haven't. I feel like lots of folks who are even big Kingkiller fans haven't really gotten into Slower Guard. And we know it's not for everyone, but you and I really loved it, as we yes, mentioned. Yes, it's definitely worth a read for any Kingkiller fans, Ari fans, obviously. And then after you read it, go check out our episode where we talk <laughs> through it. It's, uh, Nailed it. Yeah, it's a whole lot of fun over there. So check that out for sure. Um, speaking of episodes worth checking out... If you like Mark Lawrence, you should check out our Book of the Ancestor Buddy Reads. And when you listen to those, you'll notice that time and time again, we bring up one of our favorite characters. It's not Nona, but Clara. Well, we love Nona too, but she can't qualify for a side character that stole the show because uh, she is very much the main character of that series. But let's not let Nona steal the show because Clara is the focus of this one. She's, I mean, it, when it comes to Red Sister and Book of the Ancestor, she's the character that I think has the most unique voice of anyone and i've i've said this before i feel like her dialogue tags you never even would have to say 
Clara said after them because the way she speaks is so recognizable yeah. and interesting and funny and clever and uh, true to her character. Right. It brings me back to those exams we would take in English class together, Dylan, where it was like, match oh, yeah. the character with the quote. <laughs> and we'd be like, <laughs> run, you B-words. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's Clara. <laughs> <laughs> Well said, Charles. <laughs> yeah, that would be a pretty easy English test. I think uh, Mr. Miller probably wouldn't even put any Clara quotes on there because it would be too easy. Not or for, he'd do one as AP kind of English a gimme, class. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh uh, yeah, throw in a gimme there and just for the fun of it, grab a funny Clara quote like that. Yeah, yeah I mean, Clara's so fun and, and a, she totally juxtaposes Nona like Dona's so wound up in her relationships and her friendships and they're all super important to her and Clara's most important thing is herself and her own well-being she does and money like which again is just to bolster herself so (laughs) so she does love her friends and she does have friends and you know you see her like you can tell that she's kind of this struggling to choose between what's good for her friends and what's good for her but Clara is an interesting counterpoint to Nona and in that Clara is very much like a pragmatic realistic me first very much like Braun or Casca in those ways of like hey we gotta be uh realistic here like maybe we it's like yeah we might leave those people behind but we got to get out of here <laughs> you know it's like there's only so much i can do you can see she's like running away but like pacing at the threshold like oh do i go back and help or do i keep going yeah. you know like her her charm in those moments is so funny you can always count on her to be like well i gotta look out for myself here i don't know <laughs> it's it, it, it's a driving force of the whole book of the ancestor trilogy is 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 kind of clara's counterpoint to nona so yeah and to that clara having such a unique voice to it one of my favorite lines in all of book the ancestor is they send clara on a little i don't know if quest is the right word for it but she's got tasks to take care of Mm -hmm. and i won't say what for no spoilers Mm -hmm. but at some point she gets back from it and nona asks so you have it and the response that we get is of course i'm clara (laughs) like (laughs) i've always just loved that line because it just sums it up it's like a lot of other characters are more we use the word pragmatic a lot to describe some characters that lawrence writes but clara is just like why would you even ask that it's me who who do you think you're talking to (laughs) and she's at you know in red sister they're pre-teen girls so it's really funny to think of this sort of i guess arrogant pre-teen girl who's all about herself and it's like why would you even ask that question (laughs) i know i know she's she definitely when she shows up she steals the show for both of us in book of the ancestor we've talked extensively about how much fun she is to read and how great of a character she is and um definitely worthy of our steal the show title um another series that we have buddy read that we would be remiss if we did not talk about in these moments is lord of the rings so many great characters in that 
series and you have to think like well yeah there's some characters that might fall more under the main characters and not so much side characters but there are certainly characters that have stolen the show that aren't in this main fellowship dynamic here the first one i think that we just have to bring up is good old tommy b tom bombadil now all these other characters that we've talked about today this idea of stealing the show has been a pretty much a positive outlook like their charm (laughs) and their wit is what takes all your attention away from the main story and onto them tom bombadil takes a unique spin on the phrase steal the show for us and uh i'll just keep going here i mean he's tom bombadil when you meet him he's such a unique force he's got this small piece of land that he has total mastery over he tells these ancient forces like these evil trees and creatures and things like oh just stop and they go away you know so he like saves the the hobbits by being like okay like you bad thing got be gone and it just goes away he's seemingly benevolent there's scenes where he like interacts with the ring like it's nothing yet he doesn't get involved with the quest for the ring or take a stance against the dark lord or anything like that he's like this own nebulous little ecosystem that he has total mastery over and it creates almost this like bizarro presence in the fellowship where the hobbits are like pulled in by his mastery and he's got so much power yet he's also singing all the time and he's obsessed with entertaining and food and drink and he can also fight off all these evil forces and you're like who is this guy what is this tom bombadil and like every time the characters try and go off on their adventure again he comes back Uh, i mean i would say his bizarro presence in the fellowship dylan it doesn't just steal the show it takes the show hostage (laughs) (laughs) that's well said charles and you were naming a lot of things that happen around tom bombadil and under normal circumstances i might say oh no charles we're trying to keep this spoiler free free you don't want to talk about plot events but luckily for us no actual plot of importance happens when Tom Bombadil is on the page. <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> trust me, Tom Bombadil, whenever he's there, you're going to see him as the main thing that's happening because not a lot else is. And he, yeah, I mean, it's you're interesting getting... how he's ridiculously powerful. Like theoretically, he could play a really big role in the giant events are going on in the lord of the rings but he chooses not to and uh, he's also not at all in peter jackson's depictions of the (laughs) film so it's pretty jarring for someone like me who watched the movies before going in to read the books well before reading the books and then it's like what is going on here with this Tom Bombadil? Yeah, I know. You can't talk about the Fellowship of the Ring, the book, without talking about Tom Bombadil because it's just so bizarre. He, You know when he's on the scene that the whole plot comes to a screeching halt and you're going to get all of these songs and dances and he's going to pull you in for dinner and for drinks and stuff <laughs> like that. And you're like, okay like here we are again you know that idea of taking the show hostage you know he he certainly steals the show you're like who is this guy what like what is he all about there's so many like you know 
forums and videos on the internet of people explaining the mystery that is Tom Bombadil. But when you're just reading the story and trying to follow the fellowship, this guy is just like there and he's dominating for like a third of the fellowship, you know? So certainly a character that steals the show, just not in the way that we have described it typically for these other characters. (laughs) Definitely. An honorable mention goes to Treebeard as a mm. character <laughs> <Yes>. that, <laughs> we... I mean, I have a reputation here on the FDF podcast for getting a little bit hasty, as Treebeard would say, around some of these moments in The Lord of the Rings. So definitely with Tom Bombadil and those moments with Treebeard where we're just like have stuff happening like dinner or just talking and taking really long it can hold the show hostage, as you said. <laughs> but at least Treebeard has a really fun, unique voice and yeah. does get involved in the plot in some way. True. Um, another Lord of the Rings character that gets involved with the plot in some way, but is also a side character that most certainly steals the show, is none other than Gollum himself. Right. And Gollum is my favorite character in all of the Lord of the Rings. Mm. I think that just such an interesting nuanced character that I've yet to see replicated despite all of the years that have passed since the Lord of the Rings. I think a lot of times modern fantasy authors have almost like given up trying to even bring in a like Gollum equivalent or even subverting it or anything right. like that like we see all these subversions of a lot of the other tropes in the Lord of the Rings because people have tried so hard and, and with various degrees of success like actually like replicated folks like Gandalf mm-hmm. um, but we've like never people just don't even try because Gollum's already in himself such an interesting nuanced character that almost at times to me felt like strangely modern or even I don't want to say out of place because that makes it sound like it was bad but like hard to believe that he's even in this old novel yeah he stands out quite a bit it's an interesting observation that there's not like the Gollum trope you know there's like the wizard trope there's the um you know this idea of the mentor trope that we've talked about already on the show check it out um, but there's Charles, you're all about the drops today. <laughs> <laughs> Sending people to other episodes. We got to promote the show. Um, but then there's also, you know, it's hard to say what the trope is that Gollum's filling because his voice just pops off the page. He's so like, he's Gollum. There's no other way to describe it. He's ingrained in the series in a way that no other character in Lord of the Rings is. He, he just dominates every scene. The way he talks, his speech patterns, his phrasing are so different. They're so dynamic. He's like choking out his own name sometimes. You, you get that sense that he's struggling with his identity and the temptation of the ring. He's like this balancing act of his good versus evil nature. Like sometimes Frodo is like, oh, be easy on him. He has this animal-like innocence but then he's also like conniving and scheming and that sticks a wedge between Frodo and Sam which is super interesting you never know what Gollum's gonna be up to he's kind of unpredictable but he has such a long history with the ring that goes back even to before the Lord of the Rings into the Hobbit and just this idea of having this morally gray conflicting character in a sea of heroes and villains 
with his own unique voice and character design and things like that, I mean, he just absolutely steals every scene he's in in Lord of the Rings. That he does. Charles, I'm stuck on the fact that you said in a sea of heroes and villains, and that sounds, if we're plugging other shows, that sounds like something that might come out of a random uh, fantasy book title generator. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to try to improvise a story based on that. But I don't want to take the stage away from Gollum. Such Mm. an incredible character with so much depth. Uh, I mean, uh, these moments where I was reading The Lord of the Rings and seeing the like the Gollum dialogue going on, mm-hmm. I could basically just hear the way that he's depicted in the movies coming through, like that voice uh, coming through. Right. Because it, it seems like they took the dialogue straight from the straight from the page with a lot of it. And I guess right. I thought that Andy Serkis's portrayal of Gollum would have been like this almost modernization in the way that I think a lot of the characters were kind of more modernized for the movies. But Gollum stands, uh, not alone, but uh, stands out for being so similar in the books to that incredible portrayal. I mean, it's like you said, like, how do you modernize a trope that isn't a trope? You know, it's the character. And like you said, this just to go beyond stealing the show in the books, Andy Serkis's portrayal of Gollum and also like the techno- technological developments in cinema that went into creating Gollum, like all those scenes steal the show in the movies yeah. as well to have this dynamic, entirely CGI creature crawling around delivering great lines of dialogue and that amazing committed performance from Andy Serkis. It's like really a huge part of the magic of those movies goes into that Gollum character just a a huge accomplishment both from the technology standpoint and from the performance standpoint and like you said like going back after the word watching the movies and reading the books it's like that character's voice is consistent throughout and I just think it's such a clear vision for a character and such a dominating character in terms of like intrigue and what's happening in the scene that it's just beautiful beautiful character in fantasy certainly a side character that's stolen the show yeah so well executed by J.R.R. Tolkien yes that envisioned and implemented I have such a hard time envisioning like a a well-studied English professor over in England writing a Gollum character so committingly but he does and and I think the fact that he stands out so much is a testament to that of like the author putting aside his own voice to write this character you know it's super interesting to see the difference between Gollum and every other character in the book so huge props to Gollum huge props there's no top in that I would say I I think you gotta end there with Lord of the Rings and Gollum unless there's anything else you want to add before we wrap up this character series just that it's been a pleasure charles always enjoy podcasting with my lifelong (laughs) friend i always enjoy podcasting with my lifelong friend you dylan as well and these character series are always so much fun this idea of side characters that steal the show was a really interesting one we got to bring up so many interesting characters that may not be used to the spotlight but certainly steal it when it's their time 
and it was fun to see all these characters in one list. You know, it's a lot of charisma here. Yeah, on the list anyway. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a it's it's really cool. That's part of why I really like about these character series too, Charles, is that it gives us the opportunity to talk about so many different novels uh, and so many different characters. And I mean, how many lists have both? Ari and Tom Bombadil, <laughs> Clara, uh, Clara in the mix. Uh, don't forget about Dudu the Doppelganger. I mean, and Braun thrown in the middle of all of that, and of course Nikomokaska, famed soldier of fortune. I mean, that's that's a pretty exciting time when you and I get to talk about all of those characters in just the same episode. So, and the interesting themes that connect them, you know, how yeah. like what is it about them that steals the show? How do they play off the main characters? You know, there seems to be common threads through many of them and it's definitely something we can learn from and as we go into more buddy reads, we can go back to of like, man, these other characters, the characterization being used here is is so strong and we can uh, find a new way to appreciate great characters in fantasy. Yeah, no, I mean, we don't usually reserve things to only buddy reads and stuff, but we basically did besides Braun from A Song of Ice and Fire uh, here because every other character is from something that we read, I'm realizing. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, it opens the door for for a future sidekicks that stole the show uh, <laughs> again. Yeah, like narrowing <laughs> it down to sidekicks maybe would be an interesting or sorry, side characters. Mm. But yep. that's another idea. Did yep. I say sidekicks? You said sidekicks. Yeah. I think you did. No, I mean, that's a whole other idea. Yep, sidekicks, side characters that stole the show part two. Yeah, who knows? You can expect all kinds of crazy creative ideas coming from the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast. And Dylan, unless you have anything else to say, I think we bring in that sweet, sweet outro music. I think we've said it all, Charles. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, let us know over in the Twitter sphere at the FDF Podcast with a number one at the end. We also have Facebook and Instagram at the FTF Podcast. If there's something you want to talk to us about, consider sending us an email at the FTF Podcast at gmail.com. Now, Dylan, if they wanted to show their support for the show in a way that's free and super helpful to us, and they just so happen to be listening on off the podcasts, what can they do? If you're on Apple Podcasts, then you can toss five stars to our podcast by going to our page on the Apple Podcasts app, scrolling all the way down until you see some stars, and then click five of those stars, ideally, and you can always throw us a review if you happen to have time and are feeling generous that's right but just but, charles just yeah. listening right that was just what i was gonna say up. just <laughs> listening just getting to the end of this episode is more than enough you guys have already shown us great great support and we thank you for that thank you so much for listening and as always go forth and conquer friends